0: Coming up next, The booketing Reads, The Soul of Lucas Weeks. Also known as the Heart of Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> to the booketing this is nathan alberson your humble and obedient host welcoming you once again to the booketing welcome to everyone even to the guy that gave us one star jake oh did we iTunes. just get
1: a recent recently get a one star rating he
0: didn't leave us a review just I, one star just one star mm. But we welcome him. We Probably listen to Milne.
1: What? Probably listen to Milne.
0: Yeah, it was probably Winnie the Pooh related. <laughs> nah. Most of the negative feedback has been Winnie the Pooh related. Yeah, most of the positive feedback has been Winnie the Pooh related as well. That is very true. Polarizing. Polarizing, yes. <laughs> but we do want to welcome everyone. We're like Ellis Island, a great melting pot of listeners. Bring us your tired, your poor. Your one-star reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do it, Guy? I understand why you would give us one star, I guess. There's parts of the show that we all want to give one star. Lucas is sitting there right now. He wants to give this part one star. (laughs) But is he going to go on iTunes and give it one star? No. We're decent human beings. We don't go on iTunes and give one star to wonderful things like the bookening. We still probably have a five-star rating though, right? Yeah, we still have a five-star rating. Of course, we still have a five-star rating. But the only people that should be giving one star are people that are perhaps buying stars for people in the star registry. I'd say that would be an acceptable place to give people one star. Uh, if you're a booking agent who's booking celebrities and you're need to, you booking some gala and only one star is required, that might be a place for one star. Can you think of other places, perhaps, Jake, for where you might want to give one star? A certain
1: certain restaurants on yelp maybe
0: certain restaurants on yelp white castle <laughs> white Castle. In, in order
2: to passively aggressively uh you know rate their service exactly well, here's Rather what i talking think to if somebody. you're
0: gonna give
1: <laughs> a uh, super negative like less than three stars then it should be accompanied by a review explaining why
2: <laughs> be like super negative less than three stars yeah. i love that be like d <laughs> cooper
0: <laughs>
1: Yeah, a two one or two stars out of, <laughs> on a five star system. You owe it to people to explain yourself. Be right? like okay. DB
0: Cooper three eight six five or whatever that guy's name was. <laughs> he has four stars. <laughs> DB Cooper definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody more transparent and honest and open than D.B. Cooper 3865. He got on that iTunes. He gave us four stars. Not as many stars as I would have liked, but, you know, he said, uh, you guys are a little serious for me. I'm sorry, D.B. Cooper 3865. We'll try and lighten it up a little bit. We'll try and have more of this kind of thing. I know you enjoy this. Um, Today... It's a very special episode. If you like episodes that are exactly the same as other episodes, you probably won't like this. But if you like episodes that are different, then you probably will like this one. This one is going to feature, first of all, as usual, Pastor Jake Menzel, the pastor who's a master of reading, some column, namely me. Jake, how's it going today? <laughs> it's going well. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing just fine. Jake, if you were a dog, what dog would you be?
1: Ooh, <laughs> I should have thought about this before this moment. <laughs> I was going to say, you're not surprised by this question, are you? <laughs> I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on this one. <laughs> Uh, well my favorite dog is is a lab. I we've had a lot, we've had a lot of dogs growing up. <laughs> I we've had uh, Siberian Huskies. Growth? Uh Cocker Spaniel. Wrong. A couple Golden Retrievers, a couple Incorrect. labs. Correct. A uh a rat terrier. <laughs> <The> rat <laughs> the, the, should have saved some negative words for that. Rat. And that dog that dog was killed by the ice cream man <laughs> 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 when I was about I must have been about five or six years old. <laughs> the ice cream man? Yeah. It's actually the Schwann man. Uh, okay. But I, I kid you not, some lady, like... It could have been the, the lady, but I saw the Schwann man go by, but Rat Terry's are yappy little things. He'd go to the end of the driveway and yap at cars, and uh, some lady came up to uh, the door and uh, swore up and down that the Schwann man actually swerved into our driveway <laughs> to hit him. <laughs>
0: and he, his body was in our driveway, so... <laughs> yikes if there's one thing we know about ice cream men they are a vindictive breed <laughs> no kidding man <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you start crying every time you hear the like duh, 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 yeah that's right that's down why I, I always cry <laughs> you make the kids come inside you must have seen me cry <laughs> i make them come inside yeah. <laughs> we are also joined by me and nathan alberson your humble and obedient host what dog would i be jake labradoodle obviously and we are joined not by brandon chasteen he is currently probably at work working in a real job somewhere but we are also joined by our very special guest this episode his name is pastor lucas weeks how you doing lucas well how are you i'm doing fantastic sir what dog would you be do you think well i've I've been dubbed a Labrador. You've been dubbed a Labrador. <laughs> yes, that's been
2: my designation. <laughs> I didn't grow up around dogs. I don't think. I think we had one dog. I don't even remember what kind it was. It was a small little dog. <laughs> I did have monkeys when I was a very little child.
1: You no have kid monkeys. Yeah,
2: like pet monkeys. Uh, yeah, pet monkeys. I was actually looking at a picture today of myself with a monkey next to me. What, you,
1: what, what kind of names do you give to pet monkeys? I don't have any idea, actually. You didn't name it?
2: I was probably four. Okay. When we were living in a place that we had monkeys. We also had African Greys. That's a fun What's uh, an African Grey? parrot. Oh a parrot. Yes. African gray. Did it repeat things and Yeah. They they they're pretty smart actually. They're they can be devious.
0: Devious African
1: grey. What other exotic pets did you have growing up? Uh
2: as far as exotic, I mean What's the most exotic so, animal you've ever seen, the, not in a zoo? This is not exotic at all, but maybe... So we. I remember there was a... Okay, this might be a little exotic. I think we had for a short time like a little... Uh, like a deer-like thing, a Congolese deer thing. A Congolese deer thing. <laughs> I don't even remember exactly the name of the animal, but it was like little Bambi, sort of like having <laughs> Bambi. But the the this is not exotic at all, but the most traumatic... <laughs> experience um that we had with pets is my dad for a short time had chickens and so we had um chicks right and he gave one to my little sister and the cat found it and so... so when we found my little sister she was weeping and over this bloody mass of a <laughs> little chick
1: <laughs> and i'm <laughs> laughing about it, it was it's pretty sick it's, it's pretty sick <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I New evidence has come to light. I think it was the ice cream man. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows ice cream men have a vendetta against <laughs> yeah. beloved pets. Those or Congolese not so ice cream pets. men. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas, you are joining us today. You are a pastor of ours, an associate pastor at Clear Note Church in blooming, beautiful D- Bloomington, Indiana, and in the yep. hills hills of southern Indiana. Is that correct? That's, true or false? That's true. And we thought that it would be fun to have you on to talk about Heart of Darkness because you bring a rather unique perspective to it. Is that true?
2: I think so, yeah.
0: Have you, in fact, read Heart of Darkness? I have. Have you read it it recently? I did. In preparation for this?
2: In preparation for this, All
0: right. Lucas, you grew up in Africa. Is that true or false? It is true. (laughs) (laughs) These are the kinds of tough (laughs) interview questions that I bring. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's right. I grew up in in two places in Africa, primarily in the Congo. Uh, I was there from 82 to 91. And then we were evacuated out of the country. And later... In life, let's see, I guess it would have been 94, 95. We moved to the Ivory Coast in West Africa. And I mentioned to Jake, place in, in the country where I lived was mentioned in the Heart of Darkness. Oh, really? Um, it was a place called Kambassam. And it was about an hour away from where we lived. And we would go there and be, it was a, a little beach town. We would hang out on the beach in Kambassam.
0: Hmm. So how does it figure into Heart of Darkness?
2: Very, very. It was just a, mentioned it in passing that they, as they took the ship down the coast of Africa and into to the Congo, it just mentioned passing that particular port. I just thought it was funny. That's like i've been there you've been there <laughs> sunday afternoon vacation there yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's where
0: i did my beach lounge
1: yeah, that's right
0: now let's see you said you were in the congo from 82 what we're going to do today we're going to talk to lucas a little bit about his experience and hear some of his stories and get a little perspective on uh see what lucas is how lucas feels about this heart of darkness see if the wilderness ever spoke to lucas and whispered things about him that uh he didn't know uh, didn't suspect about himself, and he went crazy, and we'll find out all that those interesting facts about Lucas. Um, you so eighty two? Were you born in Africa?
2: I I, I wasn't, and that's uh, almost I consider it a historical curiosity because I was born in Bloomington, and Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington, Indiana. That's right. My parents left Bloomington within the year. They were. I mean, I was born in eighty two in January, and before I was one years old, one year old, I uh, was in the Congo. Now, you should also know that my grandparents actually went to the Congo in the 40s. So my grandfather was also a missionary. My father grew up in the Congo. And so as you know, an example, my, my dad has two brothers and a sister, and they get together in the Southeast United States every now and then, and they could very easily lapse into a local Congolese language, just hanging out, having a family reunion, and northern Florida, for instance. So, long history of being in the Congo with my family.
0: But your family is all American citizens, American-born? Yeah, born?
2: that's right. Well, some of them might have actually been born in the Congo, but I don't... My sisters and I, I were all born in, in America. I think some of my cousins might have been born in the Congo.
0: Was that intentional? Like, did they come back to have the kids, or... Yeah, um, yeah. I had a very,
2: I mean, I was... I had a very complicated birth. I was up at Riley immediately after I was
0: born, stuff like that, so... Um And I guess we should... Uh, is it worth saying that Lucas is white? <laughs> <laughs> he is, if you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Just being an audio medium, I mean... Uh, It's true. It's true. Also true. True or false? This is easy, man. This is great. (laughs) Um, And so what were your parents doing in the Congo, or your grandparents for that matter? They were missionaries.
2: My grandfather uh, went over with the Disciples of Christ, a mainline denomination here in the United States, and he was involved in everything from agricultural stuff to schools, starting schools, to being a pastor and starting churches when i was growing up he lived in a town called bandaka they, my grandparents lived in the house that my parents currently live in they also are now in bandaka and so i just have memory memories of going that we would we we lived in kinshasa the capital city in the congo and but at christmas time we would go to bandaka take the plane air congo and uh fly to Bandaka, hang out with them for Christmas. So, and then my father, when my parents first went to the Congo in the early 80s, they were, at the time, uh, navigator missionaries. So, you might know, some of the listeners might know about the navigators there. Primarily focused on campus ministry, sort of like Campus Crusade or InterVarsity. Uh, But they also have missions all around the world. And so, my parents got very uh, plugged into the navigators at IU, in fact. Really involved with the ministry here. And then became navigator missionaries and so they my dad when he, when i was growing up we lived well first we went to a place called Matari, which is in the far western part of the Congo it's basically right as you come into the Congo river from the the atlantic ocean it's right there very near the coast and it's a very small town but my dad was there working with a number of agricultural projects primarily and then when I was about five, we moved into uh, Kinshasa, which is the capital city. I think now it's probably got 10 to 12 million people. It's a very large city. And he was the director of a place called that we called CAP. It was in French, it's, uh, well, it's the Protestant Welcome Center, Centre d'Accueil Protestant. So um, he was the director. He led Bible studies and uh, stuff like that.
0: Why the Congo? Did your grandpa or did your family have any special relationship with the country or with Africa or did they just, uh, that's where your grandpa happened to go be a missionary or was there any particular?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, I don't believe that there was any special relation to, I mean, my understanding is my grand, so my grandfather's from North Carolina. He was, I think the first in his family to get a college education. He had a you know large family, 10, 10 brothers and sisters that kind of thing grew up working on the farm but he got an education uh got his degree seminary degree and somehow got interested in the congo and shipped off
0: when would that have been like what what it was decade? in the 40s in the 40s yep. so congo yep. the congo would have been called what at that time
2: it would have called the belgian been called the belgian congo so, so it, it went been... from it went from the belgian congo to zaire during the Mobutu years, and then it became the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, who's What's that uh, Daily Show guy? The, you re- the guy now, Trevor Noah? No, no, no. The, the John Stewart. Don't I so, yes. think he wrote a book in which he mentions that the Congo, the worse it gets, the happier
0: the name becomes, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically true. <laughs> so what would the Congo have been like? Um, it would have been under Belgium rule when your grandpa right, went right. there, and what would that have looked
2: you like? You know, it's really fascinating to to hear them talk about it because, I mean, they would do things that in my childhood were utterly unimaginable. They would do things like open a Sears catalog, order something and have it delivered. And the idea, I mean, we, I grew up, we didn't use phones. We just didn't use phones in the 80s. I think in the 80s, everyone in the United States was using phones, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) We would like once a year on Christmas, we would call back to our family and have a chance to talk for a few minutes or whatever uh, to family back home in the States. But things like that were just unimaginable. So the point is... Things um, were better. Things were far better.
0: When your grandpa was there originally. Yeah,
1: there there was... I mean, While, it there, there While it was still under Belgian right, rule. What's that? Well, it was still under Belgian rule. Right, right. And this would have been post World War II.
2: Well, so the uh, Belgians gave handed over the country to the Congolese. Oh goodness, I should have looked up the exact year, but it was like 1960, 61, I think, when there was elections, and to this date, those were actually the only those were the only elections that the Congo has ever had as far as free and fair elections. That actually happened when there was a transfer of power. They elected some people and then things actually went downhill very quickly from there.
0: Yeah, that guy the guy that was elected, what was his name? There so the way they had a prime minister,
2: oh goodness. And a president, I think. And so the, the the main guy you want to remember that got elected was a guy by the name of Patrice Lumumba. And the interesting thing about him, I suppose there are a number of interesting things about him, but the thing about him that attracted people, he had a very fiery, engaging personality. He could really get crowds riled up and, and get people to follow him, basically. But the thing that you have to remember is that at the time the Cold War was going on and that we were in the very thick of the Cold War, so nuclear obliteration was very much front and center, he became elected and basically was looking around the international community for help. Um, And he started to turn towards the, the communists, the Chinese, the Russians. I think, you know, you even get stories about guys like Che Guevara showing up in the Congo. Hmm. at various times at that time period. And so uh, it's well known, well understood now that along with a number of other, well, along with the Belgians, uh, that the CIA, the United States CIA, had a hand in assassinating Lumumba. Uh, so this ha- that happened very shortly after he was elected. Because we were afraid he was going to
0: turn to the communists.
2: Yeah, that's right. We And so what we did is we put in power, uh, we helped a guy by the name of Mobutu Sese Seko come into power. And he was one of, you know the world's brutal awful terrible dictators for the next 30 years that would have been in the 60s when that transition happened yeah that's right that's right it happened in the 60s and yet you know if you look at you can you can go on the internet and find pictures of various presidents Reagan and various other presidents throughout the years hobnobbing with Mobutu talking like saying things about him like he's he's our stalwart in central africa and we basically we needed we felt like we had to put up with him because we wanted a stronghold against communism uh, uh, to, to put it to put it mildly uh, there's a quote by a CIA guy that Mobutu was a jerk, but he was our jerk
0: right <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> I think we all are familiar with that quote okay okay <laughs> but nice to know that it refers to the Congo
0: yeah and so uh, who would have been in charge when you uh, were First growing up in... Mubutu. Mubutu, Mubutu. yeah.
1: And
2: so the Congo is a vastly wealthy country. You know, most of your... Any electronic equipment that you have probably has some kind of mineral in it from the Congo. We have... uh, The Congo has minerals that are in very low supply anywhere else in the world. And it has... A lot of it. I You know, I don't know, remember exactly all the different kinds of minerals it has, but um, anything from diamonds to uh, metals, uh, as well as all kinds of other resources. Constantly through the Congo's history, those resources are exported out of the country, and, like to the tune of 90% of it gets exported, but shows up nowhere on the, the country's books, if that makes sense. Right. So it all gets funneled into, at the time, it was all funneled into Mobutu, his family, and all of his cronies, you know keeping people happy. So it, my recollection of things was that things just continued to deteriorate. And then I was in, I believe it was fourth grade. So that would have been the fall of 1991. And I actually looked this up. There's a there's a wonderful book. I have it here. It's called The Congo uh, by David Van Raybrook. If you want to read a book about the Congo, that's the one you want to read. It's really quite good. But I was looking up the date. I believe it's September 21, maybe, of 1991. At the time, there was supposed to be a national convention to kind uh, of—opposition parties were trying to mount an opposition to Mobutu and and force his hand to allow other parties to exist and basically take the power away from him. They were trying to do that. And he was clamping down on that, and so what ended up happening is that the soldiers began to riot, and people just went through— It was like a steam valve came off in in September of 1991 and people went through the city of Kinshasa and completely ransacked it. I think the... the statistics were like 80 percent of the shops businesses were just totally decimated mm-hmm. by people going through and looting absolutely well, like everything. what we saw
0: with the arab spring a few years ago yeah like
2: or it. you could think of it also like uh the stuff in venezuela happening recently yeah. you know just like the total everything that was in place totally falling apart and you see pictures of the grocery stores completely ransacked i mean that's the way it was my last memories of the congo was of being sort of bunkered in our house with machine gun fire, you know, going off around the city and stuff like that. And the United States Marines came in and escorted us out, all of us Americans. And we were told to get one bag each and got on the plane and taken to Andrews Air Force Base. So,
0: What was it like uh, growing up there before that, like what you were in the city, I guess?
2: Yeah, I mean, so my time was mixed, uh, split between Matadi and Kinshasa. So Matadi is like, a, you know, small... Uh, my memories of that was monkeys, <laughs> you know, playing with the monkeys, that sort of thing. Not many people. I, I I grew up not necessarily speaking English all the time. Unfortunately, I've forgotten all my Congolese language, but I grew up, all my friends were Congolese. So my nannies, we always had nannies, so uh, they were Congolese. They spoke to me in the local languages, so I, I grew up speaking those languages. So that's what I remember from that. My dad would go to Kinshasa for the weekend, come back loaded with stuff that we needed to live, you know, as well as candy or whatever else. It was always a exciting time when he came back. But then we moved, like I said, into Kinshasa when I was about five, and that was totally different. I mean, Kinshasa is just a an enormous city. You can't think of it like New York, which is high, right? You have all the skyscrapers, but there's a, lots of people in Kinshasa. And that's to give people an understanding. Any, any house that I lived in... In Kinshasa, we always had walls around, like walls that were probably at least eight feet high, with either barbed wire or glass shattered, you know, broken glass lining the top of the wall. Um, so you know, you don't just get on your bike and just go right down the down the street. That's just not something we did. But instead, a lot of families lived on um, compounds, for lack of a better word. I mean, just a bunch of houses in a walled perimeter. And so you basically get in a car, you drive to the next to someone else's compound, and you just play with them there. Uh, I, I did that a lot with my friends. I went to a uh, British school. I spoke with a British accent for some time in my life uh, that was right next door to us. Um, those were good memories.
0: What was the ratio of blacks to whites that you were actually spending time with? Was it all?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I mean, when I was especially young, the school that I went to, the British school, it was taught in English. I mean, you would get other Africans that had the means to, to send their kids there. But I, I probably hung out with a lot of white people. Uh, so you're talking other missionary kids. And I, I remember having friends from New Zealand and friends from uh, back in the States, of course, friends from America that I would go play with. Uh, in fact, uh, a guy just called me the other day from the Congo that uh, whose family we would hang out with a fair bit. Hmm. So I, I, I probably hung out primarily with expat expats when we moved to the Congo. And then you
0: left in, you said, 90... 91, yeah. We were evacuated from the Congo in 91. And then you went back at a certain point, or...
2: I did, we, my family visited the Congo... As a family, I think around 95 or so. But uh, when we moved back as a family, we didn't go to the Congo. It was still unstable. Mobutu was in, basically in power still through, I think, 97. I think he died in 1997 of some kind of cancer. But, and so the Congo was still totally unstable. I mean, the schools were uh, not available. I mean, it was just uh, not a place we could live. And so we moved to the Ivory Coast in West Africa. That uh, that country was colonized by the French, so totally different history, different situation. There I went to an international school also. It was an American school, but it had about 400 kids in it, and I think like 60 nationalities represented, so it was very, very international school, very international. Hmm. So, important question, what is it like to play with a monkey? Uh, I It's fun. <laughs> I mean, do they, they climb, climb all they Yeah, climb they all climb them. around you, and I mean, you just got to make sure you get one that's Fun and not going to bite you or something. I was going to say, aren't they aggressive? <laughs> you know it can be. About? I mean, this person had a pet monkey. And... I really should have brought the picture. It was.
0: It's quite a fun picture. It's can sweet. we put the picture up on uh, the post? Yeah, 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 sure. We'll do that. We'll of course. Do that. Go to warhornmedia.com if you're listening to this on iTunes or something. We'll have a picture up.
1: Do you feel more American or more African? I, you know, like I, so I get a lot of people
2: make jokes like that missionary. I'm African or Congolese or something like this. And I, I've i never. of the world kind of. Yeah, I've never felt. African. Yeah, I mean, I've always just been American. Gotcha. Um, You know, you asked me you, you asked me a question I think that I uh, did want to answer but about culture shock coming back yeah, to yeah, the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The biggest culture shock I felt coming back to the U.S. is actually interacting with African Americans. I had hmm. never... And, you know, you can... Maybe I'm outing myself for my internalized racism or who knows what else, but I'd never been around black people that acted like that. And I'd been around, you know, black people from all over the continent of Africa, so it wasn't like... You know, I don't know. It was just different. Again, you can accuse me of being a colonialist or something, but there is very much. I was the son of a white man. I'm, an, and not only that, I'm an American. And so, in a lot of places in the, in Africa, American is good, right? You're not. You were never a colonizer, so you can't ever be accused of being a colonizer. There was a certain amount of deference that was always shown to me. That I don't think I recognized until I got to Jacksonville, when there was no deference shown to me by any black person. And I, I, this may be the first time that I've ever told anyone that, <laughs> but it's a realization that I very much have now. the The kids in the schools that I went to, I don't think there was that deference there. Uh, they, these yeah, are kids I felt like I, you're on the yeah, 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 for field. sure, for sure. I mean, these kids are. I mean, these kids have done far better than I did academically. I mean, they've gone on to you know prestigious careers or whatever. Um, So very much not talking about the kids in the classes that I was in, but you know, in terms of the people that we had working for us. Um, Every missionary, just if you want to get an idea of missionary life, every missionary is probably going to be employing two or three or four different African people, whether you're talking about guards or cooks or nannies or whatever. Uh, It's just part of the culture there.
1: And I've heard people say that there's almost a sense in which you're sort of obligated as like culturally obligated as right. a white person of means to employ. Right. Like yeah. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your part. Yeah. I've definitely so it's not heard even that as much, a. I mean, obviously, the, there's a privilege and there are perquisites involved, but there's also, like, this is a responsibility you have. Right.
0: So well, how would you characterize the Congo in, during your time? I mean, what was it? What was your—you would have been, what, more wealthy or— um, More wealthy doesn't exactly touch it, if you know what I mean. The,
2: the disparity of wealth in the Congo is stark. I mean, people, you know, um, people have nothing. And when people say, when you say they have nothing, you know, American, there's a lot of ways to count how you have, you know, you can have money in your bank account, you can have connections, you can have resources that are available to you. Americans have a lot of those things, even if they don't have money in their bank account. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's just not not the case in the Congo. I mean people, it's incredible to me to imagine how people eke out a living. It's their, the ingenuity is really astonishing. How do they eke out a living? I mean, they try to grow a few crops and take it down to the market and sell it for a small amount of money, or they try to manufacture something, take some garbage and make something out of it. And I'm, I'm talking about the, the most the lowest level, obviously. Right. Um, obviously, there are people that are wealthier in the Congo, uh, but you don't have, you know, you don't have a strong middle class like we talk about a lot here in the United States. That's a hot topic in politics or whatever. Um, those. So, to give you an idea, when the Congo was handed over to the Congolese in the early 60s, I think there were like 20 college graduates or something like that. In, in the country? In the country. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the bureaucracy of managing... The country alone, just the just managing it, you, it's just unimagin. You know, you know, you can't even imagine how that was going to work. It was never going to work. Uh, so it didn't. You know, and then you think about things like infrastructure, like hospitals. I mean, it gives these horrific examples of the kinds of conditions that you'll be faced with if you go to the hospital in Kinshasa. You know, this is partly why. I'm, my mom didn't want to have a baby in the congo right aside from the complications that made it more difficult but so you know even i just you you i remember getting in the car and driving places uh, the, the the roads in the capital city of the country were just terrible like you basically have to have a toyota land cruiser if you're going to drive around the city of kinshasa
0: what is the i guess it's a place that missionaries want to go what's what's the how is how would you characterize the religious mix of the country the the
2: belgians were sympathetic to the roman catholic church and so you had i believe especially early on protestants didn't show up until later basically so there's a fairly strong roman catholic presence there I say that. Of course, the backdrop is just the uh, animistic African religions that were there before any of the white people showed up. Of course, did you still see a,
0: a lot of signs of that sort of thing when you oh, were there? I mean, to to
2: say that I it, you weren't you didn't see signs of it. I mean, it's you're bathed in it. That's the culture. How did that work? So, <clears throat> Well, how did that look like? I mean, people... So whether you're talking about the Ivory Coast or the Congo, you, you might see something like an offering put somewhere, like in the even in the middle of the street to some god, uh, might be some food or something like that. Another thing, there's a lot of... I remember one of the things that sticks in my mind from the British school, some, pardon me, some, well, some not very judicious administrator at that british school decided to sign up this troop of like performers they were like uh they were just going to do a show for the kids be like the tribal whatever and it was utterly terrifying uh, i mean the children were just i was terrified you have crying kids i remember distinctly a man you know dancing and jumping up and down and everything but he had and i think he, i th- I'm remembering right. He did this in front of us. He like pushed uh, some sort of spear through his mouth <laughs> in front of us. It was just terrifying, right? <laughs> some like small arrow or something like this. Um, so witchcraft, that kind of thing, is like I said. It's it is the culture. It's the what you're in, right? You know. And so Protestant missionaries showed up later. Of various denominations, of course. There's also, it's interesting, there is uh, another religion that's very popular in the Congo is something called Kimbanguism, which is uh, a guy, Joseph Kimbangu, decided that he was the next Jesus. And so it takes a lot of elements of Roman Catholicism and sort of throws it in there. But basically, they're now waiting for, I believe, the second coming or the or whatever of Joseph Kimbangu. So that but that church is many millions strong now in the Congo. So that's a lot of what you get is also just the syncretism of the of Protestantism or Roman Catholicism mixed with these other African or Congolese religions.
0: Is is there a way that you would generalize? I mean, if we if we're allowed to generalize, can uh, the the character of the people or the the atmosphere of I mean, what kind of a country is it if you just had to I know that's kind of a broad yeah. question, but you know what I
2: mean? Um, what kind of a country is the United States? <laughs> uh, I think you can generalize. Yeah, just, sure. No, yes, 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 yes. For context, though, I'm curious. How, how would we say it? How would, how,
0: would, we say- how would you say... What kind of a country is... I'll ask Jake. How, what kind of a country is the United States? Rich, wealthy, <laughs> disaffected. Uh, you just gave me a look. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> That's a hard question. I'll, I'll give it a try <laughs> since I... Uh, United States. Uh, bored, existential... <laughs> uh, Rich. I rich. you're just
1: describing yourself. <laughs> oh, easy, yeah, but, easy I mean, even, a,
0: even the worst trailer trash in the United States is bored existential rich. <laughs> you know, I mean, big picture wise, not to be white liberal guilt guy. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I'd characterize the United States. I'm the one asking the questions. How would you characterize yeah, yeah, yeah. the Congo? <laughs> well,
2: I'd, you know, the United States is rich and arrogant. Unfortunately, I think... One of the central elements in the Congo is just lying. And I think that's a lot, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, I, you know, one of the famous quotes of Mobutu is steal a little bit. It's okay to steal a little bit. Go ahead and do so, but leave a little bit for the country. And so you have this culture where no matter what job someone is in, government, private, whatever, everyone, you just, it's almost like you assume that everyone is going to be taking a little bit for themselves, right? And so there's the complete breakdown of trust in the country. I mean, you just, people steal all the time. It's its not even, you. they wouldn't even consider it stealing. They would think it's just normal way of doing things, of negotiating. And so I remember distinctly something that's burned into my mind is driving around Kinshasa with my dad one day. And Kinshasa, oh, it was terrible. I mean, getting pulled over all the time by cops. And, you know, they're they're loitering around and having nothing to do. They don't get paid. And so, of course, they're going to pull you over. They have nothing better to do. And you actually pose a good opportunity for them to make a little money. So they're going to harass you until you either give them some money or you go down to the station and you waste a whole day just arguing and arguing and arguing well one day i remember that i looked at a police officer and the minute i made eye contact with him he motioned my dad to come over and i just remember feeling i started crying in the back i was probably six years old or something uh, because i felt like it was my fault (laughs) um and we were in so much trouble it might have been the first time that i was pulled over with my dad my dad you could hear it's you would probably laugh if you hear him describe all the various tricks to try to, like, get out of it because he's tried the gamut. I mean, he's tried rolling up his windows and not answering them, just sitting in his car. (laughs) He's tried arguing. He's told stories like like, one time he was pulled over and he heard someone else nearby. So he was in Kinshasa, but he heard someone else nearby speak a language that was from the interior that he actually knew. So he immediately started talking to that that guy in the language, and the guy was like, oh, whatever, go ahead, get it. This guy can go. He's my, you know, he's my brother. something (laughs) so it's just tried lots of different things
1: (laughs) as uh not to out your dad has he ever just ponied up cash and
2: oh i'm sure he has Uh, i think more and more he doesn't especially as he's gotten older and his resolution about the corruption and so forth has i think solidified uh he doesn't but i'm sure at
0: Various times he has. I mean, it sounds like you, I mean, if you have a place that you need to get to and you don't want to waste a bunch of time, it's like, I don't it know. Sounds
1: like there are times where you just have to. Yeah. In order to get through, it's part of living with the
2: part of living there. And so that's something in the Congo that
0: I think is. Part of what has to be reformed. How do you get to be have that kind of a culture? Is it just because of the the influence of all these different nations and unstructured power? I mean, is that is that what happened? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the depravity of man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you get there? Well, I think Mobutu had a
2: large impact on that. I mean, enormous. I think that the leadership of the country very much led in that direction. I, I think. Well, I mean, I think we're all capable of. Being thieves. And I think that a lot of times, cultural institutions or the way you do things, just in general, help a lot of us to not be as thieve- thievish mm-hmm. as we otherwise would be. And those kinds of cultural bulwarks never developed, I think. Um, all of a sudden, the Congo was this country, and its leadership was telling its people, well, it was, of course, raping the country. You know, they were stealing, and it was just part of the fabric of the way things went there. Um, so it doesn't take much to plumb the depths of the deceitfulness of your own heart you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like there's a
0: lot to work with there is there any particular virtue that the united that we don't have here that you think they do have there i mentioned their
2: ingenuity i think that's just an incredible virtue it's the the the, the pain the suffering that they are up against and survive in is just astonishing what kind of ingenuity are we talking about? Are oh, just on? their ability, like like we were talking about earlier, to make a living to, to or to make something out of nothing. All, you, know, you drive down the road and there's people trying to sell things made out of stuff that you would have thrown away. You know what I mean? And so people just figure out how to live, and it's really quite amazing. What kind of work was your dad doing or so, your parents? Yeah, I mean, they're still there. And so at the time, like I said, they were officially with the Navigators. And so they did a lot of Navigator-type small group Bible study stuff. But on top of that, like I mentioned, my dad was the director of this this Protestant Welcome Center. So he basically was responsible for, oh, I don't know how many rooms it was, but it was like a small motel, basically. And when he got it, when he arrived, it was in utter disrepair. Actually, uh, to give you another window into... Missions. Um, it was jointly owned by lots of missions. If you can imagine, that went very badly. Nobody would take ownership of yep. it. And so it was in utter disrepair. So my, when my dad came, he did a lot of work changing the culture of that little institution, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he fixed a lot of things. He would insist, like, I remember one of the things he did is if, if he ever found someone sleeping, <laughs> A you know, workers leaving. He would he would walk around with his camera, he'd take a picture and then he would post it on a bulletin board, sort of as a shaming mechanism, right? But the idea was, you know, we, we're going to work, you're going to get paid on time, but you're going to work and you're just things are going to happen in an orderly fashion. And so by the time he left, the miss- all these missions groups were actually fighting over it again, but this time because it was actually making money as opposed to Being a losing single. money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was a big part. When I was growing up, that took a lot of his time.
1: I always hear you talk about, you know, what thing are are your parents doing next whether it's roads or schools. Right, right, or right. Stuff what are they like doing that. now?
2: Yeah, so when my my dad and mom, oh goodness, I don't remember exactly what year they went back to Bandaka. My sisters and I were out of the, have been out of the house now for many years, and so they were free to go to places where there were no schools or whatever. And so my dad got connected with another former missionary friend of his, like a a, a guy he grew up with. Was he? This other guy was back in Africa, and he was I guess he was some kind of enge, a civil engineer of some kind, and was getting contracts. He had a business of building roads. I think primarily in the Congo, but maybe some a few other African countries as well. I'm not entirely, don't exactly remember. But anyway, my dad was a trustworthy guy, uh, knew the language, knew the culture inside and out. Um, and so this guy asked my dad to take on leading a road building project in that part of the country, in Bandaka, and, and further, actually further east as well. And so uh, my dad managed that for a few years. And of course, when I mention these other things, my parents are always, the, the model of navigator, ministry is kind of always stuck with them so they're very in Invo- involved in kind of one-on-one Bible Bible uh, teaching, discipling that sort of thing. Kind of what we would think of as campus crusade edition. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And so they do that wherever they go. I mean, they just do that.
1: That's a given, right? But they're also going to be involved in some kind of infrastructure project. Yeah, that so goes all the way back to your grandparents. Right, right. What well, I heard you saying earlier. So, if, like, your grandfather. What did you say? Is like school, schools, hospitals. Well, I don't know if you did planting. a hospital. There were like 5,000 things that you listed off though that were yeah all church like.
2: planning agriculture and schools and so right now my dad is very much the uh his contract with the road thing ended so he, he was done with that a couple of years ago and so he's one of the things that's that's really s- astonishing uh, when you go to a place like bandaka is people just don't know how to grow food even like, they just don't know how to do it or they don't have I don't know, you know, they don't, they don't have, they just don't have a culture of it, I guess. And so my dad has been very heavily involved in agriculture, uh, showing people farming techniques and how to do it with, you know, a, a phrase in missions work is appropriate technology, right? So one of the interesting things- You don't things, expect
1: 100, six figure tractors. And, right, right. Yeah. You just,
2: you're talking about, hose and just a lot of manual labor one of the interesting things uh if you go to places like bandaka you will see i mean the infrastructure that's there is from the belt when the belgians were there so you're talking 50 years ago that's all of the infrastructure that's there it's it and so you see these machines that are rusting out that were still from that era so you know that kind of thing is not helpful to try to you know Raise money, a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, to to Buy a have a tractor. modern. But what's very useful and what's actually helpful to people is to teach them how to how to grow food and uh, have, grow enough to sell and actually develop a kind of a local economy. Do that the, way,
1: do the Congolese today have any kind of nostalgia or uh, how do they look at the uh, the Belgian? I
2: really wish you could ask my dad that question. Um, he would know immediately how they would answer that question. I think that they're probably... I think it's really strange. I think that there... Nowadays, there's people that are even nostalgic for the Mobutu years. Because it's I mean, so bad now. It's just... I mean, it's just chaos. I, I don't know. There's not... You know, for many, many years, um, ever since Mobutu left, maybe even a little before, so we're talking now 20 years, the United Nations has had a vast presence in the Congo. I mean, if it's it's a, it's... To think of the Congo as a nation state like like China or the United States or you know any other country Mexico or Canada or whatever it's it's almost it feels like a lie to me because it's not it's hard to put them in the same category it, it feels to me that it's being duct taped together by more like a international wild west kind of by what
1: more like a wild west kind of
2: yeah yeah especially in the in the east it's the wild east in the Congo
0: but but yeah you just don't have it's all this network of foreign influences. Yeah, um, yeah. Hmm. What, what was the? What, what do you think that are there things that you see in terms of the way that people in America engage with Africa and Live Aid, all that kind of you know, all the charity stuff that goes on that set your teeth on edge? Are there things that we just get completely wrong or don't understand? Or do politicians, when they talk about Africa, when they talk about Congo, do they basically seem to get it? Or um, what? So that's
2: that's a hard question.
0: Basically I I'm at a point where I basically
2: think that foreign aid is cancerous. I'm especially cynical about the Congo because as you I mean as I've mentioned already, the United States has a long history of propping up terrible dictator governments in order to get what they want, right? So, you know, I'm very suspicious of countries that talk about their foreign aid because what what are they trying to get out of it, you know? And so what I think, you know, I'm biased. I I I like my dad. I like I like what he's doing. And I think it's what needs to happen more and more because what has to change is the Congo. Just I mean it it's the same thing that has to happen here in the United States. There has to this is why I'm a pastor. This is why I decided I wanted to be a pastor because I wanted to help people hear about the gospel. And uh, I believe that the gospel changes people as well as cultures. And I think that's what needs to happen in the Congo. I love the way my dad talks about it. He, uh, you know, when you look at the Congo, the problems seem so immense that it's very easy to have the attitude of the other 10 spies looking at the promised land, you know, like we're grasshoppers compared to them. Uh, there's giants in the land, but he's full of faith. You know, he believes that the work that he's doing, uh, telling people about Jesus is powerful and will change lives. Um, I think he's right. Uh, but we, for many years, especially evangelical Protestants, we want to go save the world. And I mean, it's we. that's what we want to do. We want to save the world, and we're not really content to do sort of the humdrum mundane stuff um, that you have to do to actually make a difference.
1: Belgian uh, rule and influence, good or bad?
2: One of the interesting things about
1: the Congo is that
2: for about 25 years— the Congo was the personal property, essentially, of King Leopold. And then in the early 90, in 1900s, um, so it would have been shortly after The Heart of Darkness was published. Anyway, shortly after that, it was transferred to the Belgian nation proper. So while it was used as personal property of King Leopold, uh, my understanding is that it was a pretty brutal regime, uh, they at the time, the big crop was rubber. I mean rubber was what the whole world wanted and uh, so they had quotas. If you didn't meet your quotas, you get limbs chopped off, this kind of thing. It was just a terribly, terribly brutal.
0: Yeah, I came situation across a, by accident. I came across a bunch of pictures of all mm-hmm. that stuff while I was doing research for our episode. It was awful.
2: Yeah, if you look at the different colonizers on the continent of Africa, I think some of them did better than others. Uh, I think Belgian probably did pretty bad. They pretty did a pretty bad job in terms of think building up infrastructure, start you know schools and this kind of thing. I think the English. My es- estimation is that the English probably did the best job. Um, I would i'm not don't quote me on that <laughs> and the french are probably somewhere in the middle there so good or bad
0: it's more complicated than that i think just to give the date heart of darkness was 99 1899 okay and then king leopold sold belgium basically or sold belgium sold the, <laughs> the free state of congo as it yes. was called to um <laughs> to the to belgium in 1908 I believe. okay so okay. about 10 years after the book came out <laughs> Uh yeah I did some I did a little research on Leopold he was not a nice uh, yeah <laughs> the fascinating thing was how much what you're talking about with the disparity between what they say and what they do was true in in King Leopold's regime you know he just said like we're gonna bring missionaries and infrastructure yeah, yeah. and we're gonna civilize these people and it really excited and galvanized Europe about it and missionaries would go and they'd realize oh terrible atrocities are being right. committed to steal rubber and, and, and that's uh, part of heart of darkness right, right right well so what did you think about heart of darkness it's
2: interesting. I, I, I came away not really feeling like it's a book about the Congo, hmm. right? It's so, a book about the West. What do you mean? Primarily, the thing that I came away with was that this guy wasn't a Christian because he was surprised by depravity. I think that was the thing that's, that stuck out to me the most, He was, that this guy was surprised by depravity. And I think that's a lot of why I, I've always hated, maybe not always, but I for a long time, I've hated how Christians will watch these, uh, will will highlight certain movies, for instance, they'll come out and be like, oh, wow, that's such a wonderful explanation of the depravity of man. And it's got this awful debauchery and murderous this and that. And it, it's just, it seems so stupid to me, because the first thing a Christian should understand is the depravity of man. And it's useful to, to have it shown to us, maybe help us remember it. But, but really, the thing that, this time, I actually listened to it this time on LibriVox, um, but experience listening to it this time, reading it this time, that he's surprised by the depravity of man and that obviously he's cynical about the claims that the West, the Western powers were making about civilizing, right? Because clearly that didn't happen in this case. But in one sense, it's stupid to to be cynical about it because, you know, I think it's better that we don't eat each other than it is for us to be live in a culture where we eat each other. You know, I I really think that's better.
1: I agree. (laughs) (laughs) With you so far. Like there's progress there, right? (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) It's better that we don't put our, our, you know, each other's heads on a pike. Um, There is such a thing as progress. There is such a thing as cultures that should, that are, dare I say it better further along than other cultures. Yeah. Um, And now of course, there's plenty of things I could I could talk a long time about the United States and where we are at. I think that we're a, a brutal country in general, but anyway, that's a, maybe another topic.
1: Both f- foreign and domestic.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah.
1: One yeah. of the things since we recorded last that I've been, been thinking a lot about... Um, comparing marlo and marlo's attempts to sort of you know blowing the whistle or whatever to protect people having to decide to throw the guy's body overboard sort of he's not going to give him a proper cam- burial but he's going to protect him from being eaten by the cannibals <laughs> <laughs> it right. feels bad that he's not giving him a proper burial but you know he has mm-hmm. to take these sort of gray mm-hmm. paths mm-hmm. as he moves like reflecting on it i kept thinking about how we try to
0: Abortion. Yeah, yeah, how we try to deal with abortion That's here. That's the tension we live in every day. Like, well, we can't just storm Planned Parenthood here in Bloomington, but we can blow the whistle and right. maybe some That's people run into a the lot of our, back in of our, our jungle. our
1: preaching or sidewalk counseling down at the mm-hmm. uh, down at the abortion mill is very similar to Marlowe, mm-hmm. just blowing the whistle and hoping people. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was—I—
2: Came across a quote recently the line between good and evil lies in the heart of every man. Have you heard this? Is that Solzhenitsyn or Dostoevsky or something like that? It up real quick.
1: But I, I, uh, probably some Russian, <laughs> yeah, it's really
2: good, it's perfect, you know. It's, it's, uh, I think, and Solzhenitsyn, yeah, yeah, no, Solzhenitsyn, okay. He's right on the money because I think that its highlights are, you know, we're all capable of anything that you find in Heart of Darkness. And one of the things I think that makes Heart of Darkness scarier is the fact that it, almost nothing is mentioned, mm-hmm. right? You don't even right. know what's going on. And so that, of course, allows you to, your imagination to go places. But, yeah, that capacity for evil is something that I think the West, in, as Christianity has been dying uh, in the West, that we've forgotten we don't understand that. And so we're surprised by it. Joseph Conrad is surprised by it when he goes to the Congo. And the reality is that uh, a lot of our institutions, the, thing, the very things that we're tearing down in this country and all over the West that have kept people from evil um, are, are the very things that have kept people in mass from certain evils. That's what they're for. We're right?
1: removing all the restraints.
2: We're removing them. That's right. That's right.
1: Well, another thing
2: that really struck me was the think- thinking. Um, and we actually, this was in um, our scripture reading after our prayer of confession, I believe, t- this past Sunday. Uh, what do you have that you haven't received? You mm-hmm. know, and I, I think that that's the case no matter what color you are, what race you're from, what nationality. If you're a Christian and your culture has been influenced by the gospel over many years you're going to be the beneficiary of an immense gift yeah and we
1: there's and will therefore be held accountable
2: well you'll be held accountable for sure but there's no reason for you to feel like you're special (laughs) right right? you've been given a gift you're going to be held accountable and you have no reason to feel better than anyone else because your ancestors were doing those very same things just in a different part of the world
1: and that's sort of how, how the book begins right was uh with uh our narrator contemplating the Celts. and Yeah, yeah. The Romans,
0: right. but, the Ro- but our narrator's an idiot. So he's like, it was glorious and wonderful. <laughs> and <laughs> They brought and then, civilization. And then Marla opens his mouth. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you how. <laughs> Let me tell you how it is, boy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but what's, what's interesting is even if Conrad's right, that that's the way of progress is brutal, awful, depravity, You said earlier, well, it's better that people don't eat people. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Right? And so awful things happened, and yet there was still progress. And even what maybe Leopold meant for evil, Mm. God meant for good. I think there's all kinds of places that we can look and we can say that. I mean, if if you're black and you're in America today, you got here because somebody meant it for evil. Right. And yet here you are and... (laughs) <laughs> Not to diminish any of the awfulness that, that that led to this point, but God meant it for good.
0: Yeah. I think it was interesting what you said about um, it being a book about the West and not about Congo too because that's actually, I think, one of the things that offends people. You know, people don't like Heart of Darkness now. The critical mm, studies really? have kind of turned against it Why? largely. Um, well, there's a very famous essay. What's the guy's name, Jake? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Chinua Achebe. Oh, Chinua
0: Achebe. He wrote an essay. Yeah, I read his book. Did, wait, things how do you say his apart.
1: name? You, you probably...
2: Oh, psh, he was a Nigerian. I'm, I mean, I don't know anything about... <laughs> But Chinua Achebe.
0: Yeah. Okay. He wrote a famous essay in 1975, I forget what it's called, but it, it, the essay calls Conrad a bloody racist. Really? Um, and he says, even though Conrad obviously hates the West and the way they're exploiting and murdering these these Africans, he also gives no inherent dignity to the tribes. You know, all the stuff about Marlow feeling like he's going back mm. into this prehistoric kind of thing. You know, Conrad doesn't make, just kind of blithely assumes in a certain sense that there is such a thing as civilization and that some civilizations are better than others.
2: Well, it was striking to me that the the African characters didn't get any person. I mean, I guess there was the one person that got personality was maybe the guy that got shot.
0: The fire boy?
1: The
2: fire yeah, boy. yeah. The, the guy doing the boiler. And so, the
1: extent of his personality was that he felt about him like a good dog or, so, like right, a good dog right. or something. Right, right.
2: So, I mean, I could see where Chinua might say that because these people were barely human. I mean, they were not portrayed as, I don't know, humans. Um, there's some
0: sympathy for them, like they're so, the, yeah. dying on the hillside and he get, wants to give the guy a, a little mm-hmm. of bread or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, but you're right. The point of the book is that the West is depraved, not anything in particular really about the, the point of the book is those stupid guys firing their pistols off the side of the, and what happens to Kurtz and all that stuff. <laughs> right. The uh, I, I
2: remember it said squirting. It kept using the word squirting. Uh, bullets into the jungle, the Mm -hmm. vast jungle. It was giving you this... Uh, picture of the uselessness of what they were doing. My know.
0: favorite part in that, I think, I think I, I forgot to mention this when we did our other recording, but my favorite, my favorite uh, little picture, little image of the uselessness of the West was that ship that he they'd go by when he's on his way. That's just like firing their guns. Yes, and yes. Conrad <laughs> Marlowe describes it as a ship versus a continent. yes basically. that's like, right. The ship <laughs> was just trying to take on a continent. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, <laughs> you just uselessly firing mortar shells into the, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know um
2: it's it's a it's a complicated history and unpacking i'm speak thinking of colonization Mm -hmm. you know in general and unpacking and of course it's so many different actors so many different places it's hard to generalize everything um but there is definitely good with the bad Mm -hmm. i mean um and i get
0: annoyed with generalizations on but you know there's the people that just wanted like rush rush limbaugh i think has written some children's books uh, like about uh, you know it was great when the americans came and we treated the native americans so well yeah yeah. i like no we didn't (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but you know and then there's the other side just like you know we came and we exploited the beautiful right natural the virgin territory people that were you know, putting heads on pikes and eating each other, and that was so terrible of us to not want people to eat each other. and I don't think I'm really doing their point of view justice here, but you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> uh, huh? So, did you enjoy the book then, or did you? Uh, not
2: particularly. I. It was. It's interesting. It. You don't get. I. Uh, the feeling you get from reading the book is that there's more like this melancholy brooding sort of through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's not even. You just get the feeling that the dude was really depressed when he wrote it. Yeah. So it's I don't think it's an enjoyable book. I think I told Jake that it's a book that my dad really appreciates. And I like I said, I wish that my dad were here um, to talk about it with us. Huh. But he's not.
0: Maybe we'll have to get him on sometime when yeah. he's in town. That'd be fun. I,
2: I, I have a vague... I've read a number of books on the Congo, but I, I forget what I read. And so... But I do have a vague memory that something like the that the work done to stop the atrocities in the Congo were kind of a precursor Mm -hmm. um, to the the modern activism that we have that was uh, the
0: sense that i I saw a quote maybe it was on wikipedia i don't know but i saw a quote that said the first big reform movement in the sense that we think of those kind of activist mm-hmm. causes and social justice type things that happen today was in fact the first okay. widespread right everybody in there is gonna do it kind of thing was 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 the congo dealing with the congo in the west at least well okay. the
1: twain pamphlet that you uh mentioned uh you said was uh Although it had a thing in the front, all proceeds go to the...
0: Right, Mr. Clemens will not take any proceeds for this book. It will go to the Congo Reform Movement. And he's, in the book, he very much makes the point that once the the Kodak, as he calls it, that once the once pictures came along, it's, the book mm. is written from sarcastically from King Leopold's point of view. And King Leopold's just saying like everything was great. You know, the preachers were on my side. The people were on my side. Of course, Twain hated God. But, right. Um, you know, I had a thousand preachers and a thousand pulpits saying how wonderful I was, and we could just kind of throw t- everything else could be moved under the rug. But then the Kodak. That came along. Yeah. It's a better preacher than anyone. You know, uh-huh. some little kid with a thirteen-dollar toy can totally is bringing down my empire here, and he's really angry about it. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: um, back to back to Conrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed the book because not because I'm surprised by depravity, mm-hmm. but because I find myself constantly needing to be reminded. Any book or work of art that can can kind of wake me up and force me to see something about myself. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think it has to be like, we always make fun on the podcast of the people, you know, the, the young men that are, you know, you got to see Fight Club so you can understand right, the depravity of right, man. You yeah. know, that's not, that really that's, not what, that's not what you're saying because no. that's obnoxious. But um, I mean, that's just dumb. You want to see the depravity of man then just like spend five minutes with yourself. You know? <laughs> um, or at least well, be honest okay.
2: about why you want to see Fight Club, you <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: start With your desire to see Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> Desire to see people beat each other up. <laughs> <And> no kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think that book will ever end up on our list. Um, but what what I found myself admiring about the book and what we ended up talking about a lot was the character of Marlow. We liked. I mean, in, in a depressed, existential, from it written by an atheist, I believe, kind of a way, Marlow was a noble character. We thought. I mean, he. Mm. We really liked the parts where he's just where he's going to give the piece of bread to the native, where he's going to blow the whistle. Mm. But um, I think. we we found a lot to sympathize with and despite the bleak yeah <laughs> hopelessness of it all <laughs> mm-hmm. well i think what you said about abortion is is helpful for me because that is the kind of tension um we live all the time is you know it would be wonderful if we could just you know do away with it if we could just end that tension if we could just you know yeah, uh, be careful how in- i say this in- but
1: instead we need to have the the same mindset that Lucas's dad has of he's in the Congo mm-hmm. and he's, <laughs> he's in he's the heart building of darkness. roads and schools having small and, group in right. schools and having small group Bible studies of two and three people and is just hopeful that it's going to bear fruit and it might, it, and it's going to bear fruit culturally and he won't see it in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. But if enough people put their hands to the plow and commit to the work, then yeah. And that, um, that kind of, hearty hopefulness right <laughs> in the face of of the darkness that's at the heart of our city here and the mm. cities of lots of listeners mm. um
0: well and that's how you do it you do it with hope and with faith and with trust in god and that of course is what's missing in conrad and that of course is what you know is as beautiful as we find uh, as, as the two of us find Marlowe's existential melancholy because we're <laughs> existentially melancholic kind of guys um you know, ultimately Conrad didn't do it with hope or belief in the gospel.
2: So one of the um, interesting things that my dad has experienced is he's come in uh, contact with this group called the Kitawala. And they were originally, many, many years ago, I believe they were uh, proselytized by the Jehovah's Witnesses. So Kitawala actually means watchtower in some language, I don't know which one it is, but the Watchtower Tract was what the Jehovah's Witnesses you know, gave out or whatever. Anyway, they're a group that became very separatist. Um, they hated all authority, and so that at some time, I think in the 70s or something, they completely withdrew and went to live in the jungle, and they would at most wear animal skins. But they had the Bible, and I think the Protestant Bible that we use. So in the last few years, a couple of people, a couple of men... Came out, heard about my dad's work, and uh, came out and wanted to talk to him. And he was talking to them, and and he gave the guy a Bible, and the guy the guy knew the Bible, could read it perfectly, and wanted to know more and talk to my dad more. I give that as an example of this weird way that who knows how God is working, but somehow there's this group of who knows hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million, or who knows that are like in the jungles of the Congo, and they have the Bible. Who knows what's going to happen? Right. (laughs) You know? I don't know.
0: the book of today was written and produced by nathan Overson. it was performed by jacob mensel and our very special guest star lucas weeks thank you for being here lucas
2: thank you for having me
0: but uh yeah the next week jake murder on the orient express murder on the orient express agatha <laughs> Christie. <laughs> next stop i should have said next stop murder on the Orient Express. whatever we'll see you next week folks good night or good morning or whatever you are goodbye